So today I'll probably be in and uh, well, let's begin with a prayer, William. Because <laughs> Lord knows I'm going to need it. Let's pray. A loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this day that you have given us and for this opportunity to gather here in this space. Uh, we ask that you would keep our hearts and minds open to your instruction, that we may see your imprint not only in our lives, but in the lives of those that we are privileged to work alongside and to serve. In all things, there are many things that are coming at us, many things that generate questions and concerns. But in all things, if we can continue to return to the center that you create, we will find our stability, our focus, we will find our momentum. So may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you always bless, keep, guide us, give us the assurance that we need that we do not walk alone, that we walk in faith and the security of knowing that you are with us. Amen. What I meant to say before I got into the prayers, I'll sort of be in and out of the pulpit today because there are things that need to be read and shared with the congregation. I have had a difficult week preparing thoughts and ideas and concepts for you today because of what's going on in the Middle East. We spoke a little bit about this on Wednesday at our study on Romans weaving in and out of the text that we had in front of us, and then, of course, being able to talk about current events. And there might be individuals who are actually coming to worship, not this church in particular, but just coming to worship to sort their minds out as to the frustrations and the vexations of a long-standing generational conflict that's happening in the Middle East, which I am not even addressed or wise enough to be able to speak to the intricacies of that long-standing battle between Palestinians and Israelis. Fortunately, I don't have to use my own words today. I can use the words of a statement. You have to know what your church is doing in your name. And on the 12th of October, a statement was drafted by the ecumenical churches, including the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Disciples of Christ, the United Church of Christ, the Alliance of Baptists and American Baptists. If you want to know all the signatories on this letter, I will happily share that with you. But there's 27 religious organizations uh, that represent millions of individuals whose leadership decided to draft a statement about things that are taking place in Gaza right now, which um, direct all of our attention. So I'll read this letter. This is a letter that these churches have written to Congress. Dear members of Congress, we have watched in sadness the devastating loss of life in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories over the last several days. A church based denominations and organizations with deep ties to the Holy Land, we mourn with our Israeli and Palestinian siblings as they grieve the loss of loved ones and remain fearful of continued violence. Our commitment remains to a future to which both Israelis and Palestinians can live in peace, with security and human rights protected for all. 
We unequivocally condemn Hamas's attacks and violent treatment of civilians and call for the immediate release of all hostages in captivity. We also condemn the indiscriminate and violent Israeli response that has already claimed hundreds of civilian lives. The Israeli government decision to shut off power, water, and fuel will have disastrous impacts on millions of civilians in Gaza, including over a million children, especially those who need immediate medical attention. At this critical time, it is incumbent upon Congress to act in ways that will help de-escalate the violence and stop further loss of life. Specifically, we call on Congress to, one, publicly call for a ceasefire, de-escalation, and restraint by all sides. Two, call on all parties to abide by the laws of war, including the Geneva Conventions and customary international law. And three, prioritize steps to secure immediate release of hostages and ensure international protection for civilians. During this time of heightened tension, we implore Congress to refrain from steps that only exacerbate the violence and increase the risk of expanding war into a broader region. Any congressional effort on that as one-sided or rushes to send new weapons to Israel will only intensify the conflict leading to further death and destruction. Congress must work to prevent the spread of more violence, including against Palestinian civilians in Israel and the West Bank. Year after year, we have seen that increasing violence begets more violence. Our past responses have failed to end the bloodshed. As these horrific events unfold, we are reminded once again that only by addressing core systemic issues, including decades of institutionalized impression and collective punishment of Palestinians through brutal military occupation in a 16-year Gaza blockade, will Israelis and Palestinians live in peace. We are grateful for your service to this country. We pray for wisdom and discernment on your behalf in the days ahead. Sincerely, et cetera, et cetera, all the assigned religious institutions. Bless you. So these are the thoughts of some church leaders who have signed onto this list. And of course, ministers who read these have to start to think, what then is our response? For the past few weeks, I've been trying to make an argument for decency, decency amongst us. And I have lowered, I have not lowered the bar theologically, because I still try to draw from the strength of the scriptures for us to find that core of humanity that is within us, that wants to come out, that wants to bless our communities. But I have lowered the bar as to how far our grasp and our reach is. So often I have often thought that the things that we do here would reverberate and, and echo out into larger spheres. And maybe in some respect they will. But we have to start with demonstrating a sense of decency just in our own purview in our own territories and in our own respective communities. Because it's very hard for us to be able to point our fingers over in the Middle East and say, why can't they get it together? Why are they continuing to squabble when we realize that we have done some foolish things in our own country of late? And I'm sure that if uh, anyone else was paying attention around the world, they could say, why can't they get it together? So where is Paul taking us today as he speaks about two women who are tireless workers in the, in the kingdom, 
Yodia and Syntyche, who are workers who have helped to propagate the gospel alongside him, along with uh, Clement and, and other religious leaders. Apparently, he is calling for them to be of one mind, which means that at the time of this writing, they were not of one mind. Oh, imagine that. Two individuals in the church, people in leadership in the church, who were not of the same mind. And so whatever is, is warring between these two uh, witnesses of the gospel, Paul needs that to come to an end. He needs them to find some common ground because the work that they are called to do is too significant for these two individuals in their promise and in their wisdom and in their witness to be at squabbles. Why? Because when you have your leaders who are squabbling, then those who are called to observe and follow those leaders, they look to them and say, well, they can't get it together. They can't seem to sort themselves out. What hope is there then for us? We watch those in leadership. We watch ourselves when, when we are positioned with some sense of leadership. We realize that there are always going to be eyes upon us. There will always be comments in the background. There will always be individuals who are either waiting for us to usually screw up. And then they can point their fingers and say, I told you. I told you. They weren't right. But maybe really at the heart of it is that we watch those in leadership and we are mindful of those in leadership because we want to see them set forth a strong example. We want them to see them set forth an example which, which we could like latch ourselves onto and say, that's a good witness. That is a witness that, that I might be able to incorporate that into my own walk of life. So Paul is trying to beseech these two individuals that he knows are capable of good to find peace in their relations, to find peace amongst themselves because they are in danger of creating a rift in that religious community that could be irreparable. Paul is calling them to be of one mind. These churches, in this collective statement, are asking Congress to be of one mind, in terms of trying to present an understanding that there is another way that does not lead to bloodshed, loss of life, that does not lead to a protracted war, which I fear we're looking at. What then does that mean for us? I mean, because let's be honest, uh, some of us who are so uh, far removed from the hot spots in the world some of us who have more than enough to deal with in our own respective lives and in our own households and in our own families, they're like, I don't have time to deal with what's going on in the Middle East. I got a cranky spouse. I got a colicky child. I got some, I got some adult child living in my basement, and try as I might, I can't get them to move on. You know, I, I don't have time for those conflicts. I've got conflicts too close to home. I have an aging parent. Who needs attention, right? So there are concerns that we have right now, local, specific to us, that's causing us to say, yes, I know there's something going on there. Yes, I know I should be mindful of it. But you know what? My matters, my concerns, my hurts are at home. I understand this. <laughs> I get this. But we are still called to be people of faith who can convey a sense of reconciliation. I am such a fan of reconciliation. 
And maybe, maybe that's my fantasy. Maybe, maybe when I speak of reconciliation and being a people, a reconciling body, maybe it sounds like fantasy to those who hear it because we have so infrequently seen it. We have not, we have not skillfully practiced it. We heard it once. It was like a dream. We woke up and we said, I, I dreamt a dream where individuals who were on different sides of the aisle came together and they shook hands and they smiled and they worked towards a better world. But then I woke up. I woke up and I realized, oh, no, this is, this is the world I'm in. Where it's all hostilities and it's all about owning the other side and it's all about sitting on the sidelines and waiting for someone else to fail so you can say, mm-hmm. Now's our turn. So as people of faith who have legitimate concerns close to home, what are we still called to model collectively? What are we still called to model? There was this thing that I learned when I was studying uh, Confucian thought. And Confucian talked about personal cultivation. He says, you can't change the emperor unless one changes themselves. Personal cultivation, working on day and day to weed oneself out of a, a, a dire, wretched nature, which means there has to be some sense of what we're capable of and not doing and following the path because we're all capable of good and we're all capable of evil. And if we continue to be mindful of the evil that we could commit, and work consciously to root that out and to not give that strength and to not feed that beast, then we can start to cultivate that goodness. And, and Confucius was saying that if each individual worked on their own personal cultivation, he says, That's, that stuff radiates out, right? An individual who, cults, who cultivates their personality, then it starts in the household. A household that has a, a cultivation of good personality then echoes out into the community. A community that works on their personal cultivation starts to take over a region. And he says, and that's how you change the emperor. When each person individually is, is out there uh, applying their best being mindful of the decisions every day, from tiny decisions to lofty decisions. Every word we choose to use, every gesture we choose to convey, realizes that that's all part of that cultivation which ultimately will become a powerful witness. It's not just saying it. It's consciously working at it. We call it prayer. We call it meditation. We call it mindfulness. We call it daily devotions. We call it worship. But it's all personal cultivation. So even though we might not be sitting in the, the sense of, of Gaza right now, even though this might be something that just comes to us across the wire, we still have to work on personally cultivating because if we become too polarized in our conduct, then we run the risk of feeding fires Starting fires, emotional fires, hostilities, intensities that will become out of control. So yes, anywhere in the world where there is discord, anywhere in the world where two individuals are in a struggle, that is our problem. Because we are human. 
And you cannot witness the things that are going on. You cannot witness two individuals who are in tension. Two individuals who have not found love. Two individuals who are out to overpower the other and not have something resonate in you. And your heartstrings. You look at that and you say, these, these people are not at peace. These individuals are in tension. If they could only but find peace. Because that's what we would want. That's what we would want if somebody observed us in a dire situation. If somebody observed us who was intensely in conflict with, with someone. We would want them to say, look at these individuals over here who have not found peace. What might I do to be able to help them find peace? Have you, have you been able to practice the art of peacemaking lately? Have you been able to talk to a co-worker who was so fuming about a decision that took place recently in the workplace that they literally came unglued, they were unhappy, and it was now their will and testament to make everyone else in the workplace unhappy? Did you ever realize that perhaps maybe this was a call to you to intervene? This was a call to you to de-escalate? This was a call to you to bring awareness to another side? To be the salve that that person needed? To bind their emotional wounds? Have you been called to be a peacemaker in your family when two individuals that you deeply love cannot get on the same page? It might not even be a significant issue, but it's significant to those who are in contest. Have you been called to come in and say, because well, a lot of us say, well, they'll work it out. Right? That's us, that's, that's us basically resigning ourselves and resigning and, and forfeiting our own power and our own power of presence to be a peacemaker. They say, well, they'll work it out. Just give them time, they'll work it out. Maybe they can't work it out without us getting in the middle. Maybe they can't work it out without us being able to come and show them a different side. You see, this is, this is what it means to me to be a person of faith. To be a person of faith is to realize that sometimes that call to engage is, is, is not, it's not arbitrary. It is essential. We see the conflict. We recognize it. We go, you know, our, our, our nervous center says, this is the conflict. This is the conflict that's happening in your area. This is the conflict which you are witnessing. This is the conflict that's happening on your clock. You can't run. We want to run. We want to get away. We want to put as much distance as we can between us and the turmoil because we don't want to get hurt. Nobody wants to get hurt, right? You don't want someone to come after you and say something to you, give you a smack. So we say, so we put some distance to it, right? Now these people are important to us. I love them. That's my brother right over there. And that's my other brother. But they've never gotten along. But I'm going to leave them to it. <laughs> you can't do that. And Jesus would say, don't do that. Get in the fray. Get in that moment. So Paul writes on behalf of his... He's in prison when he's 
writing this, and he's, and he's trying to, to reach out to these witnesses, and he's like, these are good people. Euodia and Syntyche are good people. I have worked alongside them. We have raised up a community of faith, and I don't know what happened. I don't know where this disagreement came, but these two sisters in the faith, they need to find that common ground again. So Paul throws himself in the middle. He throws himself in the middle. He reminds them of the work they did together. He reminds them of the powerful witness. He tells them there is another way. And this conflict is not you. It's not becoming. It doesn't look good on you. So, let's go to this passage here. <laughs> Caught between the pulpit and the lectern, dear God. But I wanted to go to this Philippians passage because what Paul says here is, is, is the message for today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It sounds like a song. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. A very tough one to do. A very tough one. I can attest to that. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved. And this is Paul, and that's just speaking to the blanket populace, right? He's speaking to this community, but he's speaking to our community as well. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. This is Paul's invitation to renewal. It's his invitation to renewal for anyone who has ever had an off day, for anyone who has ever had a disagreement, for anyone who is currently still in a disagreement. It might be the opportunity that we are withholding our love from someone because we want them to come to us. They need to come to the table. But maybe in truth it is, is that the, the, con the conflict will end because we reach the level of maturity to go to them and say, this needs to end. Now I can't speak to the specifics, because I don't have the sort of <laughs> geopolitical understanding, time, and attention to be able to speak to the Middle East. I don't even have the presence of mind to be able to speak to Washington, D.C., <laughs> right? My purview, my real estate, emotional real estate, is very, very scant. I have you. <laughs> You know, the few pews of you that I can reach. And I'm hoping that, that what we exchange here, the thoughts, the ideas, the sentiments, will actually endure at least until you get down to the bottom of the stairs on the sidewalk. That it will resonate with you long enough that maybe it might even join you on the commute home. And maybe it might even hold on with you long enough to get into Monday. Maybe, maybe it might even carry you on in midweek. Maybe you might still be reflecting on these things when we meet again next Sunday, God willing. 
But all I know is this, is that the change that we want to see in the world, the hospitality, the compassion, the renewal, the love, it has to start with our example. It has to start with our desire to want to be able to exercise that and display that model in our own homes. If we can't do it in our own homes, we can't hope for someone else to do it in a home we don't know. In a country we don't know. With customs we don't understand. So we cannot hope for someone else to, to be able to reach a pinnacle and to reach a level of understanding and to reach a level of civility if we ourselves don't know what that means. If it's foreign and it's strange to us, if we can't reconcile with our, uh, our nearest and dearest, our relatives, our friends, our co-workers, somebody who said something stupid to us on Facebook, if we can't reconcile with these individuals, what hope then is us you know, trying to wear out our knees on Ukraine or Gaza or Afghanistan or anywhere else we've had active little fingers in the world? If we don't understand the semblance of peace and reconciliation in our own hearts, then it's game over. But Paul tells us, Paul tells us by the powers of God, it is not impossible. By the mercies of God, we are not yet through. And that each and every one of us can tap into that conduit called the Holy Spirit and be completely transformed. And, it's, and transformed to a point where everyone will recognize it. We can't doubt it. You look at it, you go, that person's been transformed. What's going on with them? Is it, man, they got a, the Holy Spirit got a hold of them. You know, that's what happens. <laughs> they say, hmm, where can I get some of that Holy Spirit? Well, I heard some of it was being dished up at the first congregational church. At St. Paul's Lutheran Church. Yes, they dished up gospel down there too. St. Mary's. Oh no, did I see this Holy Spirit going into St. Mary's? Yeah, with about 35 saints behind it, <laughs> right? And there's that sense in which when we understand that there is no conflict between us and our other brothers and sisters in the faith, then we can start getting closer to this understanding of what it means to live in a world that has God's imprint on it. So I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up on the fact that if, if I'm a fool... If I'm silly, if I look ridiculous to you and to others for hoping that peace is possible in its many forms, then okay, I'm willing to look stupid that way. I look stupid for a lot of other things, a lot of other antics I do up here, week in and week out. I'm, I'm willing to, to, to bear that mantle of being the crazy guy who's got a silly little dream that one day individuals actually would say, you know what, I can't remember what we were fighting for. But it was a completely, utterly, total waste of time. And I don't want to be that person anymore. Because life is short, friends. And it's even shorter <laughs> when you're engaged in conflict. It's hard on the system. So what I want our witness to be is I want, I want us to model what we want to see in the world right here at home. And start in your own homes. Because I guarantee you, there's probably somebody you need to talk to. There's probably somebody who's pissed you off. Yes, I've used that word. 
I use a lot of other crazy words in church, too. I'm starting to get a little bit more earthy in my speech, maybe just so you'll notice me. <laughs> but yes, there's somebody right now that you're still like, what about that person? I'm still mad at them. <laughs> maybe it's time for us to start reversing that. Thinking about whatever it is, the energy that we've been putting into being angry and being hurt and feeling rejected and starting to realize the burden that that's been and say, I, I, I just, I don't want this burden anymore. Someday there will come a time when our Israeli and Palestinian brothers and sisters will be tired of carrying that burden. And maybe they'll have to witness some other group of individuals, intense individuals in some other part of the world who are willing to let go of their burdens. And maybe that will be a powerful witness. I don't know. I don't know which one it will take. But I do know that if we have personal burdens of hardship, personal burdens of resentment that we are no longer willing to carry, then let him go. Let him go and let's be healed because I really do believe that's what God wants for us.